0: This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and hello. Thank you for joining Product Mastery and being on this journey towards product mastery with us. Today, we are talking about methods for prioritizing product features, and joining us is Andras Juhasz, which I'm sure I pronounced badly. Can you tell us, Andras, how you pronounce your name properly?
1: Hi, Chad. Uh, it's Andras Juhasz.
0: Okay, so I got kind of close. Andras Ujas. Yeah, he's a product manager for IO, They're a social media advertising company. And he wrote an article that caught my attention on the six methods to prioritize product features. And we're going to talk through some of those. As always, we do take detailed show notes for you. So if you want to go back to a written version of anything we talk about, we also prepare a one-page action guide, which is a one-page PDF with key takeaways for you to put into action concepts that we talk about. Uh, you'll find those resources, the notes in the one-page action guide, at productmasterynow.com slash 360. Andras, thank you for joining us.
1: Happy to be here.
0: So I, I'm curious first, just because I stumbled across you and your work and through this article that you up, what caused you to explore different ways to prioritize features?
1: I generally think like feature prioritization is an interesting topic, not only on the individual or product level, but also on the organizational level. So like, what are the, what are the problems that are worth solving or what are the next best features to build? So it's interesting to see how all the features and sh- solutions are shaping the overall product. And it's also interesting to see like how different departments, different organizations handle customer problems and ha- handle like the features and feature prioritization topic.
0: Yeah, so lots of different influences there inside the organization. And it sounds like part of that is also uh, maybe organizational strategy. What are the objectives for the organization? And how is the product work helping to align with those objectives as well? So uh, it's good to elevate this feature prioritization beyond just the product team, and and make it more transparent to everyone concerned in the organization. So very good. Okay. In your article, you presented six methods. I wanted to talk through some of those with you. One of them, I don't know if it was the first one you wrote about or not, is the Cano model. And and it's Canoo and the actual person who who created it, I've I've looked at how you pronounce their name and I'm sure all these are wrong. But um, the Canoo method is one I particularly like because it helps us think about maybe we're actually overbuilding for value to the customer, right? Are, are we delivering value that they actually need? Are we building features that they maybe don't care about? Can you talk us through a little bit about this model? And I'm curious as you go through these, maybe, I don't know if you've applied all these, if you've you know weeded out the ones you look at, that you like or not, but just kind of your personal thoughts on using it too, if you have used any of them.
1: Sure. So the Kano method is like focusing on like, if, if you want to visualize it, focusing on two axes. One is the satisfaction, which can be high or low, and the other is the execution, which can be also poor or excellent.
0: This is a quick break to thank you for listening. And I'd like to recommend some recommendations for improving your product capability and helping your organization generate greater revenue. Whether you're a product manager or you lead product managers, you're gonna find these recommendations helpful. They're based on insights I've learned after working with several organizations helping them improve by using my Rapid Product Mastery Experience, or RPM Experience. The report contains 10 recommendations. The first one is worth getting the report all by itself, and you can put it into practice in only 5 minutes. I've shared it many times recently. For example, when a leader from Dell Computers asked what they can do to create a more innovation-oriented culture. The first recommendation was what they needed to change. Also, when a startup founder was struggling with conveying their value proposition, Once again, the first recommendation showed him how to reframe the way they present their work. Further, when a product manager with several years of experience was finding interviewing for a new job with another company to be kind of challenging, the first recommendation showed him how to best position his experience for any opportunity. All that from only one recommendation. Now to get it and nine others in my report that's titled 10 Changes Product Teams Should Make Now to Consistently Launch Products Customers Love, Simply go to productmasterynow.com love, that's L-O-V-E, love, because the recommendations will help you better create products customers love. Don't miss out on what other product managers, leaders, and innovators are already benefiting from. Go to productmasterynow.com love. It's worth a minute it will take you to do that and not miss out on what others are already putting into action.
1: Basically, the model is dividing the customer preferences into five uh, different categories. So the first category is the basic. The first category is all about like what customers expect, what is like a basic functionality. So, for example, if you consider like a mobile phone, smartphone, voice calling, there is like something that you would expect to be there. So that could be something like that. So. If it's uh, executed poorly, it causes like uh, bad customer satisfaction. But if it's executed very well, it's not like making the customers amazed. So basically it's something that they, they expect and something they, they want to have. Second is performance in which more is generally better. And one example is electric cars and their range. So the more you get is in case of performance features, the satisfaction is usually better or more fulfilled when you have more of this functionality or more of this attribute. And third category is excitement. It's something that customers wouldn't really expect in the product, but when they see it, when they when it happens, they it causes a po- positive surprise for them. So you can think of like think of a like a to do app for example, and if you complete the task, for you get fireworks, animated fireworks. Mm. That could be an excitement feature when you achieve something and you didn't really expect that uh, feature to happen, but it's there. Mm-hmm. So the fourth one is indifferent. So the more you have does not make you more or less interested in the product. So you can think of milk boxes or milk box thickness. So generally the ticker the box is, uh, you are not considering it's a better or worse product because you are feeling indifferent about it. And the fifth category is, is reverse. So the more you have it, the, the, the less optimal it is. And you can think of uh, an example of like long uh, scripts in a call center when you're waiting over the phone and like listening to some automated script. Maybe if you're hearing like more messages and more information, Is like not always better, but sometimes it's worse.
0: Good. One reason why I like these is it helps us to focus our attention on what actually creates value for the customer and not underbuilding or overbuilding the product. And I I think it's uh, easy, particularly with my experience in software, to overbuild. And we add features that maybe we've just improved them to the point that no one cares anymore, right? We call that gold plating. Or we add features that really aren't particularly of interest to the customer. I I like your performance example very much of the electric car range. That would add value for sure. The, The reverse, I've seen products that... Features have been added onto the product. There's one software product you know, I think you have. It was by MicroGraphics a long time ago. I think I've used this example before. And it was my favorite uh, drawing, illustrating uh, product. And the designers kept adding so many features that I did not care about. And yet the product got slower and slower to use as time went on. And so it actually greatly degraded the, the product over time. Those excitement areas are really fun to try to find, right? What is something that we can do that might be relatively easy for us to do that creates extra excitement and maybe that emotional attachment that you know, people weren't expecting? And the example I've used many times is the first time I bought an iPod and it came in the mail from Apple You know, I was expecting this very elegantly designed device that I've heard so much about and heard Steve Jobs talk about, you know, at the time, carrying a thousand songs in your pocket, but it came in this beautiful box that was, it was very much like getting a Christmas present to me, right? It was just the experience of opening it and that created additional excitement. So I really think the area to avoid is the indifferent area, right? And certainly the reverse area. We don't want to overbuild or build things that don't matter. So
1: thank you for taking us to that. Any other thoughts on the Canon model? Uh, just maybe a thought to your example. So it's yeah. also interesting to think that like, for example, just the iPad example and the box example that you mentioned, like Apple is also working on how many seconds does it take for you to open a device box and what is the optimal experience there? So I think if we are thinking about product and thinking about the product experience, it's also interesting to think about, not just the product itself, but the surroundings, the delivery, the packaging, and all the, all the indirect things that are contributing uh, to the overall experience.
0: Yeah. And that was my first encounter with the iPod, right? Was the packaging. And there was a time when that was very much forgotten about. Apple kind of set the standard for doing it well. Many others have followed suit now because they recognize it creates a better experience for us consumers. Good. Thank you for taking us through, Cano. Another one is RICE, and RICE is an acronym, Reach, Impact, Confidence, and Effort. Can you tell us about using that one?
1: Yeah, but before we jump into the exact model, I think it's worth to highlight that, like, in general, prioritization methods, like, work well if a department or organization can commit to those and eliminate most of the subjective attributes from these models and subjective factors. And it's also not for everyone. So, If you need to select your or pick your battles and you need to focus, if you're making sure that you're focusing on the most important customer problems or you're twisting a framework, it's a clear choice what you should focus on. Going back to the RICE model, as you said, it stands for reach, impact, confidence, and effort. So basically, it's four components and it's an equation. So reach is like generally how many users will be affected if you release a new solution or functionality. Impact is the value that uh, the feature can generate. And this could be a score from 1 to 5 or 1 to 10. It can be subjective. And that's why I wanted to highlight in the previous sentence that it's important to keep this subjective score in check because some stakeholder internally might think that their feature is much more valuable than actually it is. So how how do you balance this effect out to make sure that, like, They are not kind of auctioning on on top of each other with the value score Mm -hmm. the the another component here is is i think here it's in it it, it's also score and i think it's important here to differentiate features and feature candidates that are like gut feeling and also features that are backed by hard data so it can be also score it can be one to five but it's, it's important that like each of these scores has some like examples attributed to it. So maybe one is a gut feeling, five is something that is like very much backed by data. And and the last component of of the equation is effort. And it plays like this, this effort component plays a major role in many other frameworks as well. And it's one of the, I think, best things to consider generally when building a product or when building a feature. So the effort could be hours, Days, weeks, or or even months to to develop something, and if you sum it all up, so how the equation works that you multiply reach, impact, confidence, then divide it all by effort. So that's how you get the right score. And hopefully, that's like bringing you closer to see and what could be some of the quick wins that you could prioritize, and what are some of the features that maybe are not adding value right now for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's another good scoring technique to help collaborate, build ideally some transparency into why we're selecting features and help everyone see the information that went into making the decision. And it, it contains some good components, right? If you're going to reach all of your u- possible users, if you're reaching a subsegment of those users, the impact might be varied. Maybe you would come up with a subjective because some of our users tend to be more important than others, right? If we're a B2B kind of company, our larger customers provide us much greater revenue would probably be judged as having higher impact for the features that really reached them. And then our confidence in just the data that we have, uh, very important to add. And also, as you, you suggested, right, one that we don't want to game. We were trying to avoid some stakeholders gaming the equation itself. And maybe putting in an extremely high confidence factor because they're trying to get something through when it really doesn't impact as many people as we might want to like. And then the effort. Very important to consider what can we get done sooner that creates more value. Generally, things that we can get done sooner creating value are much better than things that take a long time because we're not getting that value out to, to customers. So balance that out.
1: Okay. Rice method. Have you used the rice method at work before? I used for myself. So basically evaluating some scores individually, but I didn't have opportunity to use it as as part of a larger organization.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just curious. I, I like the scoring idea. It's not one that I've used specifically before either. And I actually don't use any of these specifically. I use Kano in a general sense of, Let's identify features that don't actually add value and let's make sure we're not overbuilding for the expectations of the customer where it does not make. And then I I use use a scoring model. It's just not rice, but um, a scoring model to help us identify what makes sense for the company, what's well aligned for our technical capabilities, and what adds value for the customer and an effort sort of look at things. This is all very good. And since I'm talking, I'll I'll talk about our sponsor for our, our podcast as well. That is the RPM experience. It stands for the Rapid Product Master Experience. This is actually an experience that I have put together to help companies improve their product capability. Uh, we often work with product managers, sometime product teams, and as well as executives or directors. We put together a group that meets for one hour, 15 minutes virtually, in nine sessions. So typically over once a week, and so we end up in nine weeks being able to greatly improve the performance of a product group and improve the product capability of an organization. We're getting everyone on the same page. They're learning a common knowledge set, common language with each other. They're collaborating much more effectively than they did typically before this. There's some team building that takes place as well. So a lot of really positive changes that come out of this. One that people often bring back and talk about, at least lately as we did in the last year, is getting everyone to think differently about the customer. And maybe they were thinking a little bit too internally about what they could accomplish, and now their conversations are much more focused on the customer, which is a good connection to what we're talking about because this, you know, prioritizing features is about creating value for the customer and spending our resources where it actually matters, doing the work that matters there. If you want to find out about how the RPM experience might help your organization, see if it's a good fit to improve your product capability, go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM. Okay, on to some... Oh, I should ask you, Andres, how did you get... Your product management knowledge, because a lot of us kind of just stumble into it, right? And one reason why I do the RPM experience is because after working in product for 10 years, I came across a framework that was really helpful to me that I wish I would have had sooner and uh, started just teaching that to other people. What was your experience like?
1: It's it's interesting because like my knowledge didn't come like originally, I didn't like after university, I didn't decide that I want to be in product management and I had Mm -hmm. it straight there. So my journey was like started in marketing, continued through IT organizations and managing, managing teams and managing organizations and then ending up in product management. So I think the knowledge that you can like get in, in many of these like industries and many of these, these sectors is very useful, especially if you are working with similar teams or worked with similar teams before. For me, these models and, and all the product management knowledge is is something that I read, something that I collected as a theoretical knowledge. Luckily, I had years when I could also try the, those frameworks and try those yep. uh, practices
0: as well. Yeah, I think that's true for most of us, Andres, that we are, are self-taught and we pick it up along the way. And our maybe just our curiosity about creating something of value for customers and working with teams you know, contributes to all that. There are disciplines which are available, and this is why we have books and things about them learning some of those disciplines is quite helpful. So yeah, just curious about your experience there too. If we move on to another approach that you wrote about, this one is called effort versus impact. It's a effort versus impact matrix. Um, Tell us what that one's like.
1: It's sort of like a simplified framework. So I'm using for uh, double checking my hunches and double checking some of the, some of the guesses that I have regarding product priorities. So basically the framework is like a matrix So you have like two two axes. One is the effort, which can be low or high, and the other is the impact, which could be also low or high. So you are asking yourself, what is the effort and what is the impact? And if something is in the low impact, low effort uh, zone, those are usually fill ins So when the team is idle and they don't have anything major to do, you can pull those things in to the backlog. You can pull those things in to the in-progress. And... A good example is like a component improvement, probably not a low, probably not a high impact, probably not a high effort, but it's helping to keep the code, to keep the product sustainable and to to kind of like round off some edges. The other is the in, in the low impact, high effort zone are the tankless tasks. So those are which are like really not moving the needle too much, but they are still high effort. They could, be, they could be sometimes necessary. They could be sometimes mandatory like technical enablers or, or security tasks that are, at the end, not providing a lot of customer value, at least in the short uh, term. But when you consider the overall long-term goal, probably you want to have security on check for your product. Probably you want to make sure that you are working with the code that your developers can understand. Okay. Another area of this matrix is the high-impact, low-effort zone. Which are which where the quick wins are. So these are the low-hanging fruits which you can pull in, and probably you're getting some immediate or short-term value from those. The the last but not least area is the, the high impact high effort. So basically those you would like allocate the major pro- project. So probably that is the area where you would allocate the major projects. Those could be app designs. those could be New major functionalities, or anything else that is like takes time, takes effort, probably moving the needle at the end.
0: Very good. Yeah, and I liked how you, you preface this with uh, you know a good kind of sanity check of whatever else tool that you're doing to think about where this fits in overall in terms of impact a customer is well named <laughs> impact a customer and how much effort does it actually take for us to get that done. Um, and there's a place for all of them, right? It might be easy to uh, disregard the low lows but maybe there's some of those that need to get accomplished and the high effort, but low impact, like security was a good example. It might not be something that customers particularly are looking in terms of this really wows them. But we also know if we don't do the proper job with security, it can lead to big risks and big issues. So it certainly needs attention. So good sanity check. One more tool I want to talk through was uh, Moscow and, and how Moscow works.
1: So basically, Moscow is an abbreviation, which is con- uh, consisting of must have, should have, could have, won't have. And I like this framework because even though I'm not using it daily to prioritize my work, but it's also kind of like a sanity check like the, the previous model. So must haves are all the necessary essential features for a solution to be delivered. You can think of those as an MVP. So yeah. that's like the first iteration of your product. Should haves are important, but not essential. If you are developing a product, maybe those are part of the initial scope, maybe those are part of version 1.2. If you consider the, the next one, could haves, those are usually small enhancements, enabling more use cases, enabling, maybe adding some color to your product. Those could be also considered something like version, I don't know, 1.5. And I think something that's also important is the won't have. So those are the least critical, lowest priority functionalities that you could have, or even the ones that you are like planning to exclude from the scope. And, and my learning from this, that sometimes when you are scoping products, when, sometimes when you are scoping features, you also need to define what you're excluding. So others don't get the sense that it's in- included or others get more clarity. Based on seeing what is not part of something,
0: yeah, I think that's very wise. The won't haves help us to use our resources more wisely, but also we should know what the customer actually needs solved, what the problem is, what creates value for them, what the job is that they're trying to get done, and if we add capabilities that get in the way, you know, to accomplishing that that we think might be adding value, that actually distracts. Back to the Cano model, right? That actually distracts from their... And Apple has been good at this. And at times, to, to my disappointment, but a long time ago when I was using their simple movie editor, iMovie, right? I think it was just called iMovie. And there was a feature that I was using, and I might have been in in the 1% that was actually using it, and they removed it and a few other features in the next version, which annoyed me, but I also gave them huge credit to cleaning up the product and taking out capabilities that got in the way for most people, right? And, And over time, that actually creates value. And one reason to think about prioritizing features is this realization that if we just throw in everything that we can, we're probably making a worse product and it's not actually focused on helping the customer get the problem solved that they need solved as simply as possible. Any thoughts about that?
1: I think it's a good example because we, we discussed a lot about prioritizing features, prioritizing product feature candidates. But I think it's also important to mention the part that you also want your product to be focused. And you can only reach that if you are sometimes like scraping out functionalities and then deleting pieces of code from there because maybe some some parts of the product is not utilized maybe some functionalities are like there from like 10 years ago five years ago and are no longer needed so i think it's also good to sometimes go back and review based on the metrics based on the usage that you are seeing that okay i'm having let's say 10 20 functionalities right now what should be the next call should i build another or should i remove one
0: Yeah, it's good. And it reminds us too that every time we do add a feature, this creates some inertia that now comes with the product that going forward, this is a feature we have to maintain, this is a feature we have to deal with, this is a feature we have to fix as other things come into it. And we should ideally, we know our customer well enough to understand what actually creates value for them. And we don't add any other capabilities that doesn't create value for them. And that does require us to understand our customer really well. We're not building a product for everyone. We're building it for a certain segment of of the possible um, market for the population. And we want to meet their needs. Exactly. These are all very helpful tools. Thank you for going through them. There are a few others, and I will put a link in the show notes to your original article with the six tools for looking at prioritizing features. As listeners know, we love a good innovation quote around here too. What do you have for us? And tell us what that means to you.
1: So my, my favorite quote is from Thomas Edison. And the quote says, I failed my way to. I like it because success doesn't come easy. And there are like usually a lot of failures on the way. And it's, it's also very hard to admit when you fail. Mm-hmm. But it's also an important part of the process. Because sometimes you try, you fail. You try again, you fail again. And, and the important piece here is to Not to give up trying if you are confident that you are pursuing the right vision. Just like change your product, change the function. If you're still sure that you're building the right product for the right customers, then success will eventually come. Excellent. Uh, There's a Japanese proverb
0: that my kids know that I like called uh, fall down seven times, get up eight. And my daughter, who's quite good at math, pointed out that, well, if you fall down seven times, aren't you getting up seven times? But the point is that you're always getting up more than you are falling down. And I think of that in a similar way, too, that I failed my way to success. And he did not let those failures get in the way of succeeding. He learned from each one. And that's what we should be doing as well. So I very much appreciate you bringing uh, Edison's quote for us. How can people find out more about other things you have written if they want to reach out and get in touch with you? How can we make that happen?
1: Well, I'm grateful if they follow me on Medium or just interact on LinkedIn. I'm always in for a good uh, discussion on product topics. And I'm also happy if listeners uh, learned a thing or two today. So if they go back to their product roadmap or product backlog next time and they see it in a slightly different light, then I will be grateful.
0: Excellent. Very good. I'll make sure those links are available in the show notes as well, and especially to your LinkedIn profile and Medium articles. And listeners, as you always know, I mentioned this already, we do take those show notes for you, detailed notes written of everything we talked about. If you want to get those, it's a great way to share insights with your colleagues as well. Along with that one page action guide, you'll find that at productmasterynow.com slash 360. Everyone keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep
1: innovating.